Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and moms around the world. All right, everybody, please leave a review on iTunes. It might seem annoying. Do it. It really, really helps and makes a huge impact on our independently run show. We've been charting in the top 100 lately on Kids and Family on Apple Podcasts. So thank you all for your support. I have chills. Um, This is just one of those days where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I do this. This is why I do this. It's really incredible to have the opportunity to speak to my guest today. When I reached out on Facebook, Mary quickly responded, and I was like, yes, I'm so glad I'm a part of this like private Facebook mom group <laughs> because I've been able to track Mary's list since the beginning through her posts. I'm going to read a couple facts just to knock your socks off before uh, we share this incredible story. Since July 2016, Mary's List has gone from one mom helping another mom into a nonprofit organization serving over 250 families. That's 1,500 individuals. Now, these families with young kids are resettling in America from Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, and Yemen. And they've created a mechanism for anyone in the world to send gifts directly to the doors of new arrival families in America, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they write that it's a scalable solution to a historical and systemic problem. Refugees starting out in America without the supplies to take care of themselves or a community support system to welcome and embrace them. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us in our podcast studio. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Okay. So you shared in the LA Times in an article that I love the title of it, 11 women who are making LA a better place. I'm going to quote you just because I want you to sit across from me and like awkwardly listen to your own words. You said, I have absolutely no background in this. I've never worked in politics or the nonprofit sector. I spent 10 years in digital marketing before leaving to raise my two kids. But Mary's List didn't come from a place of wanting to change the system of refugee resettlement. It came from me as a mom seeing a baby without a crib mattress and wanting to help. So for all of our listeners out there, what is Mary's List? And how did you start it? Um, you're right. It is awkward to listen to myself. <laughs> um, thank you for I like putting people that. on edge. <laughs> the barrier has been broken. Um, Mary's List is a nonprofit organization that is a mechanism for people to help families experiencing resettlement in America. And it didn't start that way. Um it started, like you said, in 2016, um, a mom in Eagle Rock called me and said, I just met this family who moved to L.A. from Syria, and their youngest baby is the same age as Sabo, and she needs a jumperoo. <laughs> that was literally, it started with a mom who needed a place to put her baby down so she could be hands-free. And I just so related to that. Like, you know, at the time, my youngest was five months old and this is my second baby. And so I like optimized and hacked the system. So my entire house was like set up to 
in every room of my house. I had a place to safely put the baby, like including my bathroom. Like I could like see him bounce like from my tub. So I could, you know, I, with the first one, I didn't have this, this model, but the second one, like this was survival. And I like when she was like, she needs a jumper. Like I didn't, I didn't know what was coming next. And she was like, she needs a jumper because she doesn't have anywhere to put him. He's been in her arms for the past five months. And I was like, yes, I can, I can, I can help with that. But, and I had a jumper at the time, but my son was using it. So I posted in the Eagle Rock Moms Facebook group, does anyone have a jumperoo that they're done with? And in less than 10 minutes, one of my neighbors, someone who I had never met, said, my son just stopped using his and come pick it up. That was the beginning. And it was, you know, it began with a jumperoo and it began with like one mom calling another. And it began with one mom not having a place to put her baby down and needing to be able to like wash dishes or go to the bathroom or mm-hmm. so you show yeah. up yes at their home and what did you find there we came to the house there was 5-year-old twin girls and this little baby boy and it was a very like sparsely furnished apartment they had a, a couch and they had a table and chairs and, you know, I was very, like, goal-oriented when I got there. I was like, I'm ready. I just want to set the jumperoo up and get the baby in it. So I didn't even really look around mm-hmm. when I came into the room. I just kind of, like, kicked my shoes off. And, like, I went about my way, like, setting up this jumperoo. And then once I had it set up, I, like, turned around and I, like, like looked at this mom. She's the same age as me. She's standing there holding her baby. And, like, there's this this awkwardness that's, like, specifically for when you don't share language with someone. Like if you've ever like been mm-hmm. in close proximity with somebody who just doesn't speak any English, it's like you can, you know what that awkwardness feels like. And that was there um, like from the very beginning. It was like, but I was just like, I'm going to get that baby in this chair right now. <laughs> so I just like walk up to her. I could tell she was so uncomfortable, but I was just like, it's fine. It's fine. And I take the baby and I go and I stick him in the chair and, um, You know, anybody that has watched a baby discovering a new, you know, piece of gear before, like, it's so cool. Like, they have to, like, accidentally discover things. And, like, (laughs) so it's, like, me and my friend and the the five-year-old sisters and the mom and the dad were all just standing there kind of watching Mm. this baby figure out what where is he like what is it what is this place and then like his hand like accidentally hits something and then a light goes off and he's like whoa what was that and then his feet start like noticing that the ground is there mm-hmm. and then he starts bouncing and then he's he's giggling and then like all of us are just laughing together like watching this baby and I have two boys and I've like I've watched my boys do that twice like learning to use a jumper mm-hmm. and I was like you know this is this feels very normal I feel very like connected with these people, although they're strangers. And then, um, you know, mom was like, shy. Shy means tea in Arabic. And so Mm. I was like, sure, yes, thanks. And she made tea. And we just kind of sat in the living room and, you know, not sharing language. We didn't like speak, but just kind of like through smiling and eye contact, like when you don't, when you can't like use words to communicate, you you have to rely on your other senses and like mm-hmm. looking at the other person and like, you know, those other senses of are somehow like feel more intimate. <laughs> and so like, absolutely. There's less hiding. 
Yes. Too. Like I, I did. That's why it's so awkward. (laughs) You're right. It is so awkward. In the eye, for sure, because you can see into who they are. I, I did a meditation retreat years ago, and you couldn't talk for the seven days. And that was so hard, but it was also beautiful because it felt like people knew me in a totally different way. That was actually freeing and probably more like my true self. So you had the tea, and this baby's the, jumping, the, and the baby's <laughs> jumping. And at that point, you know, there's no Mary's list. There was this was just I was just like bringing. You're this just thing. Mary, yeah. No list, just Mary. Um, no list, just Mary. <laughs> and um, it was really awkward. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but now in retrospect, I see that and I kind of go and when I meet new, new arrival families, I go in there with knowing this, but like that awkwardness that I felt at that moment is like the awkwardness that that family feels all the time because they're always like, what the hell is going on? Like literally like for the last five years, they haven't been home and now they're like in this new place. So just sharing in that awkwardness with them is something that we can do to really help because like then they don't have to be alone in it. I didn't know that at the time, but I see it now. And, but it was super awkward. So I like excused myself to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) This is how awkward moments birth like great revolutions. (laughs) So I'm in the bathroom and I didn't have to go. I was just like, I have to like be alone for a second and I'm just like standing over the sink and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like talking to myself in my reflection and I'm like you just have to get through this one visit it's gonna be over in just like a little while you'll have tea you'll go home things will go back to regular feeling and I was just kind of like talking myself down from like the anxiety of being there and then while I was looking in the mirror I see in the reflection behind me a towel bar. And I was like, there's no towels on that towel bar. And then I like turned around like really fast, like expecting them to be there like a a scary movie or something. (laughs) But they weren't there, obviously. And then I was like, I looked down. I'm like, there's no like mat on the floor. And then I started snooping. (laughs) So like walk over to the shower, open the curtain. No shampoo, no bubble bath. Look back at the sink. There's no toothbrushes. Look under the sink. There's no soap. There's no... And then I was like, they've been living here three weeks. Like, what is going on here? Like, where's their stuff? Where's their, you know, hot mess mom pile of wet towels? Like, that's... They're they're five people living in this house. Like... And that's when my energy shifted from like, oh, poor me, I'm feeling so socially awkward in this second to, holy shit, like this family needs help. They need a lot more than a jumperoo and I want to help them right now. So when refugees arrive in our country, you were saying that so three weeks in, they still didn't have these basic necessities. When they arrive, what do we have in place uh, as a country <laughs> to help them? And basically, can you give us a very quick 101 on what is our current resettlement system? Yes. So refugee resettlement in America is managed by 
nine licensed resettlement agencies who are overseen and funded by the federal government. Seven of those nine agencies are faith-based organizations. When a refugee arrives here, to have a refugee visa, you need to come through UNHCR, you got your refugee status, and then you got placed through the federal refugee resettlement system. So there is no such thing as an illegal refugee. That's like one thing that people who don't really understand how the system works are like, oh, but how can they stay here? They're legal here. And when when they do arrive here, they come with immediate work work visa, work authorization. Um, and they're depending on the type of refugee visa you can you have, you'll you'll qualify to apply for a green card either within a couple of months to a year. Asylum seekers, it's a little bit different, but for refugees, um, you come through one of these resettlement agencies and you'll have a caseworker through that agency. And the resettlement agency is responsible for the family for 90 days. There are certain things that are legally required for caseworkers and agencies to provide for these families. And that includes a bed, indoor plumbing, access to indoor plumbing, and a way to keep food cold. And um, to meet those requirements, there are others, including like an airport pickup and um, culturally appropriate food for the first night. The reality is the resettlement system is incredibly underfunded and caseworkers People who have been working as caseworkers, helping resettling refugees for decades, have never had more cases assigned to them. Individual, like somebody who 20 years ago would be responsible for 30 people, is today responsible for two to 300. And, you know, here in California, a lot of families start out in motel rooms. People don't realize that. You know, like imagine like being in like the most traumatizing, worst part of your life. And then you get dumped at like a kind of gross motel. like mm. With your kids. And we're, you know, <laughs> parenting is hard enough without and, those struggles. What can you give us an example of something that one of your families may have been through in order to get here? So we realize like there's all these challenges once they arrive. But I'd like to take a moment to just acknowledge what some of these families have been through in order to even get to this new challenging chapter. You've heard of extreme vetting, right? Um, that's real. Depending on the country that you're coming from, your country of origin, you know, most families aren't flying here from their home country. They're flying here from another country where they had to apply for resettlement and and live temporarily until they were awarded resettlement. But depending on the country you come from, that waiting period can be, you know, anywhere. On average, it's three to five years. Refugees coming from African countries can easily wait five to 15 years. Refugees coming um, from Afghanistan, specifically the ones who are interpreters for the U.S. military in Afghanistan, um, they wait on average about a year. And so, there is a waiting period, um, but basically you have to apply for refugee status. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you about the Alawad family from Syria. Mom, dad, five kids. The youngest was three weeks old. Their neighborhood in Homs. Um, Homs, is, Homs was the third biggest city in Syria. It was like our, their Chicago. And in 2012, 
because of civil war, homes became was basically flattened like by the Syrian government and other governments. But I mean, it would be the imagine like our president like bombing Chicago. That happened in Syria. And so a lot of the families that that end up here are coming from homes in Damascus. But um, the Alawad family, when their youngest daughter, Zainab, was three weeks old, they had to make the horrible decision to leave their home. And they definitely were deliberating for months at that point, but she was getting more and more pregnant. And so they were really hunkering down and hoping. And it just came to the point. And my doula has this amazing saying. She's like, week one in the bed, week two around the bed, week three around the house, week four around the block. That's great. That's like my favorite saying about I totally didn't listen to that at all. No, but we, sh- th- we should just know. I was that. recording the podcast like a week later. I went to my kids' swim in the bed. Class. <laughs> I could have. I should have. Next time <laughs> in the bed. Next time. <laughs> Live from but my that's bed. That's brilliant. <laughs> so now she was with a three week old, oh three God. weeks postpartum, walking with her three week old in her arms. They walked 11 days to Jordan to check in to a refugee camp. You need to be at a refugee camp to get refugee status. To have refugee status, that you need refugee status to apply for resettlement. And so that is, you know, this one family story, which is actually a very, very standard protocol. A lot of people are walking. Some some people are driving parts, walking parts. Families that, you know, go through take boats and go get get to Greece. Those are usually the ones who get there successfully will be resettled in Europe. So they're not coming here. Our families are coming from primarily Jordan, Lebanon, um, Afghanistan, Egypt. So the Alawad family, to continue their story, when they were, after about four years, they were awarded resettlement. And so during those four years that they were living in Jordan, their kids did not have consistent access to school or health care. And, you know, they had four kids that were school aged. And then when they got to America, I met them and when they had been here four weeks. And how old were the kids at that point? So the youngest was four, Zainab. Okay. She's like my spirit animal. She's like amazing. I'll show you a picture of her yeah. on my phone. And then their um, other kids were seven, 10, 11, 12 and their oldest is a daughter at 14. How did the mother create a sense of home for them through all of this? Such a good question. I asked myself that question a lot. And so actually for the holidays, like we did this Instagram campaign where I just went around visiting our families, asking them what feels like home. And I asked Zainab what feels like home and and her and her older sister, yeah. Tasneem. And she said, my mom and dad. Oh. And I think that like for, you know, for a four-year-old and like, you know, that's so like perfectly age appropriate answer to that question. And like, I'm so glad that she's, she's just been through more in her now she's she's five now, but she's been through more in those five years than most people go through in their entire life, whether she knows it or she doesn't. And um, well, it's in her wiring now. We we did a recent episode about the attachment effect, and basically, you know how those first years of life they are with you for the rest of your life in your relationships with other people, the way that you handle stress. I think it's incredible that she has such a close bond with her parents. 
I mean, what a great answer. All of us who throw so I think about all the crap in my kids' rooms. All I would want is the answer my parents are feel like home. Right? You may have heard of the Alawad family because the mom, Noel, she became pregnant last year. And when she was about three weeks from her due date, she her husband bought her called me and he said, hey, we, the baby is coming in three weeks. And like, we're nervous because we don't have the, be- the nursery set up. We don't have the supplies. I was like, I got this. And so I actually posted in our mom's group, to, mm-hmm. hey, everyone, like come drop off stuff. And I put the list and um, we did a mom's Illuminati collection for her. And then their their baby was born on Valentine's Day. And, you know, I was just so excited to be able to help her have a completely different postpartum experience with this baby. And they named her Miri, this baby Miri Alawad. And, you know, this is family. I just feel so connected with them in so many ways. And I I have boys, but I always, you know, feel like if I, if I ever have a girl, she'll be Noel. Mm. For, yeah. I was going to, my next question was supposed to be, but we're like, so totally on the same wavelength. Um, <laughs> you had said in this LA Times article, it's changed my wiring. It's changed my life. So in what ways has it changed you? How do you see that in the way that you interact with your children and, you know, other people in your daily life? And also I'm curious, like, how were you wired before? At the time that I um, met that first family in 2016, I was like five months into horrible postpartum depression. And I was like crying every day and just feeling horrible and miserable and invisible in my life. I was just, you know, keeping my kids alive. (laughs) That's literally all I was doing. And I was barely making it by. And a lot of my misery was very like inward focused. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, like, like it was very much like focused on myself and my problems. And then I met that family. And then I learned about this problem that they had that for them was unsolvable, but that I could help them solve very easily. And that practice of like solving problems, like, you know, it was that first item and then there was a list of 40 items and then there was like another family and then another, another list. And first it was like one family a month. Then it was two families a month. Suddenly there was like five families at once. And it was, I got into this practice of every day solving solvable problems because the what I had been focused on for so many years were really unsolvable things. Like for me, I was trying to fix things in my life that weren't in my control. It was killing me. And this organization, I wasn't seeking it out. But, you know, the counterpart to the solving of the problems is the receiving of gratitude. And like gratitude became my medicine. Like, I would wake up every morning and I still do, but like I would have like 40 text messages from people that I had either just met or like barely knew or didn't ever meet except for a phone conversation with 
you know, we don't speak the same language. So it's like mm. photos of like kids on bikes and babies and cribs and like grateful hands emojis. Like we'd have entire conversations in just emojis. And like, that is what helped heal my feeling of invisibility. That was really like the cloud over me for a really long time. And all of a sudden there was people in my life telling me how wonderful I was all the time. And it literally was like medicine. I didn't like have like a moment where I was like, oh, I'm better now. But like by the time I like came up for air and like looked at what we had done, I was feeling better. And it totally changed my life. I love that. The the idea of gratitude being medicine. I think I similarly have experienced a ton of anxiety in the past, a lot of feeling invisible for many, many years, a lot of like too much thinking, um, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of just, I call them the tribunal of assholes in my head. Like I don't have critical thoughts. I have a tribunal of assholes. <laughs> and like the biggest gift for me in this podcast has been the moms messaging me on social media and getting a chance to speak to them about like, oh, you had that one guest on and that like really shifted things for me. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like half the time, I don't know what the hell's coming out of my mouth, but I do know how to build this engine to like get the information out for other people. When I think about that, I get chills because I'm like, and all... It's tribunal vassals, like they're like way far away. They're not invited. They're not invited. They're like on an island somewhere, <laughs> some terrible island. Wait, can we be on the island? And they're off You're the right. island. Let's okay, they're the on island. a terrible island. We're in Fiji. <laughs> I'd always heard that over the years to, you know, go volunteer, look outside of yourself. Like this is the answer. And you hear it, I hear it, and then I would like resist, and there's like a million little excuses. But sometimes I think we have to find, like, what our particular thing is. For you, it was connecting with these other mothers and making their lives better so that they could be the proper structure for their families. This is clearly all-consuming for you. How do you process this emotionally? And do you ever worry about burnout? The processing stuff emotionally is... Um, something that I had to develop because, as you know, I don't know how to run a nonprofit. Or now I do, maybe a little. <laughs> I kind of do now, but I didn't know then. And so, you know, it's super common that when people start nonprofit organizations, you know, you feel so invested in your mission and you just put every ounce of yourself in it. And then burnout happens. And that is totally not uncommon. For me, you know, because I was doing this work alongside being the primary for my, at the time, baby and toddler, I was forced to take breaks. I had to be, you know, I had to fit creating the organization into like basically my kids' nap schedules. And so I didn't have the option to put 100% of myself into it. 
So, you know, it was about like, you know, once I realized that there was this huge problem out there and, you know, I didn't realize there was a huge problem in that first family's home. I thought that they had fallen through the cracks. But as I researched the system and I started networking with caseworkers and resettlement professionals and learned that this that that family situation is the system working. And then, you know, knowing what I know about social media and crowdsourcing and just moms wanting to help other moms, um, you know, I was I was like, I can I can create a model for this while Sabo sleeps. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And I and having to fit the work into those pockets of time, I think of was is how I avoided getting getting burnt out. And now I have a lot more structure in the way I give myself the like recharging time. So like, for example, anytime I do a family visit, I like on the drive home, that's my processing time. And so I have like a specific song that I listen to. Can you share with us what it calls? is? <laughs> well, or will that ruin the magic? Oh, you don't have I to share. I will share it one day. I'm okay. not ready yet. Okay. Because it's a song. It's like a song that kind of like wrote itself. It's like a song that 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 me and Wait, my kids you would sing it. Yes, it's a okay. song. See, it I'm glad I went deeper out. there. My song would be, uh, that would be enough from Hamilton <laughs> that I listened to <laughs> while birthing Eliza. Because uh, it's like all about like slowing down and like what are the moments in our life that matter the most and like what's our legacy and like that you should, like connect with one another. That would be my song. You wrote your song. I didn't, you don't need to share it. I, I, I'm not going to share it, but maybe one day I will share it. But, but, um, but it just, I didn't like ever write it actually, because it's only something that I is just kind of come out while I'm driving and my sons know it because they're in either in the car with me or like, yeah, but, and I just, I don't take phone calls. That's kind of my yeah. um, processing time. And then also every Friday I write thank you notes. That is. Oh man, my. you really do walk the walk when it comes to gratitude. And Holy actually, cow. So I just started, as you know, uh, I started working at Jane Club. And, yes. And um, it's a, the, the co-working space for women. And so because I, every Friday, have I write, thank you, notes one to three. That's my time when I, oh, every Friday. So now we do it at Jane Club. <laughs> it's like we have, I you know, I bring all the stuff. It's a thank you note station. I have the stamps, the envelopes, everything. And um, we can do it together as like a group. And it's actually an amazing form of self-care because when you put it into writing the things that you're grateful for and you do it to tell someone else there's so much magic that we have like to benefit from that like you cannot continue being in a bad mood if you write three thank you notes it's scientifically proven by me alone and now at jane club on fridays <laughs> so what's on the horizon i feel like you probably have a big laundry list um we you have, have a mary's <laughs> list i mean how could i just leave that hanging I'm not drunk. I you promise. Don't know. I have a Mary's list. I, I have. It will be shared today. Okay. <laughs> um, we have so many plates spinning right now. Um, some amazing things on the horizon. So we're doing the most Mary's list thing ever. And we are declaring a month with the city. Um, this is actually happening. I wrote a resolution. <laughs> 
for city council to declare June new arrival month in LA. And so here's the, here's the deal. Like World Refugee Day is June 20th. That was declared by the UNHCR 10 years ago. Everyone knows about it. The families that we serve, they're not refugees because their refuge has been found. So they are new arrivals. So people who have experienced resettlement can identify however they want, and that's completely up to them. Their story belongs to them. What I have found is that some people who are resettling and resettled, they don't find being called refugee uplifting anymore because the idea is like, well, now I'm here. Like, when do I get to stop Mm -hmm. being a refugee? And so we wanted to give more context to what the reality is for people who have experienced resettlement. And the same way that like somebody who has um, transitioned out of homelessness, you wouldn't refer to them as homeless. You know, people who are here are our neighbors. And so we really wanted to share that. And um, so we're declaring a month And it's happening in city council. And I just spoke yesterday with council member David Rue. He is a Korean American. He is the council member for CD4 in Los Angeles. And he put it on a city council agenda and they're going to vote on it to declare it officially in the LA city calendar. That's not all. But wait, there's more. So, (laughs) you know, declaring a month specifically to welcome our newest neighbors in L.A. is part of a bigger initiative at Mary's List. It's it's basically a two-year plan. It's called Welcome Neighbor. We're going to make Los Angeles the most welcoming city in America. And it begins with having a month and announcing this program. We are right now finalists for something called L.A. 2050. It's the biggest and like most prestigious grant for nonprofit organizations in Los Angeles. And we submitted Welcome Neighbor as the project that we want. It's a $200,000 grant. And so we're right now a top five finalist. And um, the idea is that you have to create a project that's going to rally 100,000 Angelinos around your cause. So that's what we did. And the last phase of LA 2050, the winners are selected by public vote. And that happens June 19th till 29th. And quite literally, we are like the biggest underdogs because all of the organizations that we're up against are much larger than us and we have much longer mailing lists. So we are rallying our entire community, our volunteers, our donors, the families we serve, anyone that supports this organization, we're asking everyone to please vote for Mary's List and Welcome Neighbor in LA 2050. $200,000 would allow us to double the number of families that we're serving. So this is pretty much the biggest opportunity we've ever had. It's um, four times the size of the last biggest gift we've ever, ever received. So it's a long shot, but crazier things have happened. (laughs) So what is there a website? The website is la2050.org. And that's. And can anyone vote in any, America? Anyone can vote. Okay, um, Atomic Moms, you have your mission. <laughs> yes, this is your mission. And it's not just if you're listening, don't just, we need you to vote, but also I really need you to share with the people in your world that you 
are supporting Mary's List, tell the people who you know why this organization is important to you. Because this is a very important organization to people for a lot of different reasons. And whether it has to do with your own family's history of immigration, if it has to do with just being a hot mess mom like me who doesn't want to see that going on or our newest Americans, or if it's to make a statement, to, to a counter statement to, you know, all of the horrible news right now, like find your reason, vote, and tell your friends why. Okay. So where can our listeners find you? So we are Mary's List everywhere. It's like Mary with an I, M-I-R-Y-S-L-I-S-T dot org. We're Mary's List on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We post amazing pictures of food and adorable babies on Instagram like okay, every other day. We're about to go Hit take a up. picture together uh, with our jumperoo that we borrowed Yay. from a mom friend. And we have some exciting news to share about that as well, don't we? Yes. So... Mary's List began actually with a jumperoo. That first item for the first baby was a jumperoo that my neighbor had donated. And about two weeks ago, we confirmed a our first corporate partnership with Mattel Children's Foundation. And that, you know, Mattel is Fisher Price, Barbie, and Hot Wheels. And it's just amazing. You know, I never in a million years when I brought that jumperoo to that family's house, did I think that like one day we would be partnering with Mattel to be able to give jumperoos to literally every (laughs) new arrival baby? It's just so cool. And I've been so impressed with the Mattel Children's Foundation and the women who are running it. I actually, I just watched the Barbie documentary. It's on Netflix. It's amazing. I had no idea that Barbie was a brand created by all boss women. Like they would, all of them would be atomic moms. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Like there's so much history there. And I kind of assumed that Barbie was not like a feminist hero, but actually after watching it, I was like, wow. And also they just changed her body type. There's now five types of Barbie body types, which I think is amazing. (laughs) And it's just amazing to have that kind of like full circle. You know, it started with a jumperoo and now this like huge million dollar corporation is like, we want to invest in the model that you've created because it's important. This all just started with you having a freak out in the bathroom. There's nothing like a good mirror freak out, people. It's the, it could always be the beginning of something amazing. And also the song Man in the Mirror is a really good one to listen to. <laughs> it is a good one. It's a good one. Maybe we could play a little Yeah. A little yeah. a little part. <laughs> in the street, but not enough to eat. Who am I? Because we don't know your special little song that you do to decompress afterwards. We can all just play Man in the Mirror when we're driving today. Okay, everyone, get on those thank you notes. <laughs> Go to uh, check out Mary's List, uh, do the voting, and 
We'll see you next week. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review. It really helps our podcast. Uh, we've been independently running forever now. We started in 2014. This is really a one-woman shop. And it sounds really good because of our dear sound engineer, Owen. So when you guys help with the writing a review, if you like it, that helps with our ranking and it helps with our sponsorships. And if you heard an ad at the beginning of this episode, check them out. That helps us pay for the podcast. <laughs> Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. <laughs>